We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sword Cinema Podcast. This week, we're going to be taking a look at 1995's Waterworld, starring Kevin Costner, written by Peter Rader and David Tui, and directed by Kevin Reynolds. Here's a clip. The sun. For millions of years, the source of life. But for one planet the source of its demise. The temperatures climbed. The vast fields of ice at its poles melted, and the oceans rose. Centuries later, few people remain on this planet once called Earth. Among them, a man who still searches, a woman who still hopes, and a small child who carries the secret to a new beginning. In this place they know only as Waterworld. All right, that was a clip from 1995's Waterworld, again, directed by Kevin Reynolds and starring, of course, Kevin Costner. Um, joining me today to talk about Waterworld is, of course, Ricky D. Okay, so I have questions. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay, so for anyone listening to the podcast for the first time, um, each and every single week we choose a movie. So this week it's your pick, and we try to remain positive for the first forty-five minutes of the podcast. After which we take a break, and after the break there is a a portion of the podcast in which we talk about things we would want to change now most people actually everyone i know they either hate the movie or they love the movie there's no in between i am in between i i i i I do not hate the movie i think there's been plenty of hollywood blockbusters that have cost more if not just as much that have been a complete disaster um, so I don't really care much about the narrative surrounding the movie at the time of the re- release and how much it made and how much it flopped, which, by the way, it didn't flop. It made back its money in the at the box office worldwide and on home video. Um, so, yeah, so I'm in between, but I know you really like this movie, and I have a feeling you're like a huge fan of Kevin Costner because you seem to like all of his movies. So my um, 
<laughs> so so here's the thing. So my first question is, why did you choose the movie? And my second question is, I want to know what you think of the screenplay first. And the reason why I ask is because, you know, I've watched the movie several times and I've read about I've read articles on about the movie. I've read reviews and so on and so forth. And I found it really interesting to discover who the original screenplay writer is because that dude made this movie that I saw once like way back like a few years ago which I thought was really good it's just obscure critters 2 no 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 oh. no 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 so this dude he made this horror film called grandmother's house and like oh, okay. he actually like directed the movie and I think he directed it like maybe before waterworld and it's actually like a really good horror film that nobody's seen and has like a really good screenplay with a good twist before twists were like in every single horror film thanks to like m night so so yeah so so why did you choose waterworld well i originally chose waterworld because uh back when we were on a more regular schedule before all you know everything kind of went weird and we got interrupted the podcast got interrupted for a while it was having an anniversary in uh it was its 25th anniversary in July. So that was the original reason I, I chose it. And plus, because I always have thought that I saw Waterworld in theaters and loved it. It has some problems. I'm not going to say it's a perfect movie, and we'll get into that. But I, I still I loved it back then, and I always thought it got a bad rap when uh, when the reviewers when the narrative did focus on the production, which is a very stupid thing to bring up in a review. Like, who cares what the production is like? What is the final product like? But everything seemed to, to center on Kevin's Gate, you know, this this expensive movie, which, by the way, I still look at this movie. All the cost is up there on the screen. I can any filmmaker should be able to look at Waterworld and know exactly why it costs that much money. This is an incredible production. But um, but to be fair, they made some bad decisions while filming, like the fact that they decided to film in the middle of the ocean, built a five million dollar set, which sunk because they decided to film during hurricane season imagine your your set your set sinks it's like it's a five million dollar set filming on the i know right filming on the water has always been expensive and pretty much every movie that films in the water runs over under budget jaws had similar problems like it was a, it was a nightmare production because the ocean just destroys everything that you're and, trying to and, do and, right and apparently kevin reynolds asked steven spielberg if he should do the movie end or not and he said i wouldn't and he he warned him based on his time filming jaws i mean bruce the shark sunk to the middle of the ocean in this in this movie the entire set sunk to the middle of the ocean <laughs> which which fits appropriately with you know certain scenes from Waterworld. uh <laughs> but yeah that was why i chose it but i think it has some of the um I still think it has some of the, the the like some fantastic action set pieces. I think it's a, a beautifully sort of imagined world. I think it's very a creatively imagined world. I don't agree with the people who think that it's just a Mad Max ripoff. I actually think it has nothing to do. It's nothing like Mad Max movies other than on a surface level where it's post-apocalyptic. Um, I, I think it's its own thing. I, I, I kind of brought, wanted to do it because I think it's a great example of what superhero movies could be. Uh, it to me, it is a superhero movie. It has that tone and feel, and I think it's a great example of how physical action can elevate a superhero movie. Mad Max is my favorite film franchise of all time. Uh, Mad Max and Road Warrior are my top ten movies of all time. So I, I like you, do not like the, the comparison to the George Miller films, and the reason why you hear the comparison all the time, it's because. The writer who wrote the initial draft 
he went to Roger Corman Studios and Roger Corman and the producers, whoever worked there, asked him to write sort of like a Mad Max ripoff, right? So going into the screenplay, he wanted to sort of like do this post-apocalyptic screenplay because that was like what was hot at the time and that's where the Mad Max thing came in. But it's one of those things where one critic says it and then everyone who writes a review or an article about Waterworld, they say the exact same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I, the only thing about the movie, which sort of like, I mean, there, there, there are similarities, like, you know, but it's mostly like really the villains, like Dennis Hopper and the way they dress and, and the eye patch and the fact that they have like oil and mud all over their face. And there's but, gasoline involved, right? That's yeah. pretty much it though. But thematically there's nothing. And tonality exactly. is not at all the same. At well, all. screenplay wise, like, a... like the character's journey thematically, like what it's about is completely different than yep. Mad Max and the road warrior. Um, now you mentioned the comic book reference. And the thing is, I've said this many times on the podcast. We're now recording episode 556, And I've said this for years and years, multiple times. If I can direct one Hollywood blockbuster film in which I had total control and the budget that I needed, even if it cost $300 million, I always said that I would want to direct an Aquaman movie. I just was fascinated with the idea of the, ch the challenge of directing a movie on water, in water, underwater, you know what I mean? And yeah. to me, like this is better than Aquaman. And I think that... He actually was perfectly cast for the movie. Like, a lot of people criticized his performance. And, I mean, I don't have a problem with the fact that he's wooden at times or cold. Because that's sort of his character. And I think that he has the look. Especially, like, if you want to make an Aquaman movie. Like, I can imagine him being perfectly cast as Aquaman back in the day. Like, he has the swimmer's build, his facial features. Um... So yeah, like I, I do think it's interesting to watch this movie now in 2020 and then watch a movie like Aquaman and then see how they they did a better job with the action sequences and even the actual swimming underwater back in 1995. I mean, he trained what an Olympics swimmer. He had, of course, Stuntman, but Kevin Costner was also doing a lot of his own stunts. I mean, the scene where he's swimming underwater, like when I rewatched it last night, I thought it was CGI, and it's not. Like, it's just Kevin Costner learned how to swim like a professional Olymp uh, Olympic swimmer, and he went underwater, he performed a stunt, but he was holding on to a rope. So clearly mm -hmm. he was moving faster than he normally would because he's holding on to a rope, which is getting pulled by, like, a boat. But, like, I thought it was CGI, and it's not. Like, there's very little CGI. There is, and you could tell, like, when there's CGI, like the big sea monster, for example. But... But those yes. shots last like a few a few seconds. Like, like it's fleeting moments here and there. But the majority of the film is just like practical effects, and I think like they they did an amazing job. Like yes, there was lots of problems on sets. There is problems on most Hollywood sets. Like when you're filming movies, think there's egos, there's producers, there's you know tons of people on set. Anything can go wrong. But I feel like the narrative was so focused on what happened on set. And and you know what? You listen to podcasts, critics, whatever the making of, and like all of the stories are so different. Like apparently so and so got like like you know, for example, like the, the big story is is um 
the big not not story like the big i guess story but it's 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 the the fact that kevin reynolds the director and kevin costner did not get along and apparently they never ever talked again which is not true because you just have to go to internet movie database and check their filmography and they worked again later in life including like in 20 uh, 2012 (laughs) the hat the hatfield mccoys they did a series together there was a falling out they had been friends they had worked together on uh, kevin reynolds you know break fandango and then also robin hood prince of thieves right and there obviously the stress of this got to them a little bit it did not lead to a lifelong you know, freeze out or anything like that. I'm sure it wasn't as bad as, as people make it out to be. Maybe it was, but however it happened, like they, they eventually patch things up. But you're right. Things happen on movie sets all the time. Guns have been pulled on people on movie sets before. Just ask Werner Herzog. <laughs> I mean, it happens. So, so, so the thing is, I think it's kind of like a shame because, and but, but the thing is, it might have worked. We don't know. It might have worked to the film's advantage because it was number one at the box office the first two weeks. And the theory is that a lot of people want to go see the movie because it was being hyped and marketed as the most expensive movie ever made. So people were just curious to see the movie. That said, Kevin Costner was like a box office sensation, except for the Western, you know, which was a complete flop. Um, most of his movies did really well at the box office, and he was like an A-list star. So did people go see the movie because it was because it starred Kevin Costner and Dennis Hopper? Dennis Hopper, maybe. Did people go see the movie because it was marketed as the most expensive movie ever made? Maybe. I mean, marketing plays a huge role in any movie, especially like big Hollywood movies like Star Wars or Marvel, et cetera, et cetera. So you can't hold it against the movie or against the filmmakers, against the people that work so hard making this film. You know, you can't you can't look at the gossip and or the marketing and or the producers. You got to like sort of like review the movie for what it is like you know like like let's talk about the the cinematography like it's the same dop who worked on the road warrior you know clearly he's worked on tons of movies but you know like dean semler he's he's got a long resume <laughs> like he's worked on a lot of movies and this movie looks gorgeous like i i actually had a rented on um i wanted to buy the dvd which I should have, I rented it on YouTube, which cost like $5, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not entirely sure what the quality is when you rent and watch something on YouTube, but it looked great. And I was like, imagine if I actually got the Blu-ray. It would have looked 10 times better. Yeah, the colors, I, they obviously shot this thing. Another reason why I think this has nothing to do with Mad Max, even though the, they have the same cinematographer for you know that did the Road Warrior. Um, he shoots it in a completely different way. This is a very colorful movie. They're trying to get as much blue out of the ocean as they can. The browns are a little bit richer. They're not dusty brown. Uh, they're trying to really go for rich colors um, as opposed to Mad Max, which is very obviously faded and dusty, just supposed to be like the civilization is kind of fading away. This is a comic book. It pops off the screen. They've got massive suns in the background, you know, there or and even massive moons with sails of the of the the catamaran uh, ship going up against it, like just sort of juxtaposed with it. It's 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 definitely a completely different look. And uh, I think we were talking about why people would go to this movie, and I know why I went to it because it looked different from everything else out there. Uh, I was a kid when I saw this, and I I, I just thought it looked. There was there was no other movie that looked like Waterworld out there, so I think that had a lot to do with it as well. And when I watch Waterworld now, it's the same thing. And part a lot of that has to do with the the gorgeous cinematography, which we we can get into. There are obviously problems when you're shooting on the ocean, like you're on a set schedule, and sometimes the sky doesn't always look the same. So there are 
certain scenes where they'll the <laughs> the lighting will change and there's not much you can do about that kind of stuff jaws had the similar problems again uh though to a lesser extent i don't think it's quite as pronounced especially if you're watching the first scene of Waterworld, you'll be like okay wait a second the lighting is changing a lot <laughs> as they're cutting back and forth between the two sailors but uh that that kind of stuff happens and i can just let that go but the rest of it is just like i love the way this this uh, world looks and uh you know dean summer had a lot to do with that obviously yeah so the reason why i'm in between loving it and hating it is because i think about 50 percent of the movie is incredible fantastic the i mean we're going to talk about my favorite scene later but the whole entire raid on the um i'm not entirely sure what the atoll exactly yeah but i'm not the biggest fan of the villains and i it's like dennis hopper's fun to watch on screen you know we can pinpoint any one of his famous roles from like blue velvet to speed speed yes this speed. was right after speed right so after he speed and of... he was really really good in speed I think yeah. Speed sort of, like, made him a household name. I mean, that movie was a huge success. So, like, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with his performance because I think that's how he was directed to act and that's supposed to be the character he plays. But I do think there's, like, a huge tonal shift between... Like, like when he enters the film, there's a huge tonal shift. And it's because of the villains are sort of, like, over the top and I guess hokey is the word to use. Um, so... That's appropriate, it, I think. Yeah, so it's not like a deal breaker. It just feels, I feel like because I heard and I read, and I'm sure you have too, that there was creative differences on set between Kevin Costner, the producers, the director, and so on and so forth. And I feel like some people went in and wanted to make this really serious movie about this this Mariner, right? That is his name. That's his name, right? Yeah. Yep. That's, um, he's only referenced that as once, I believe, and, and you know, that's it. But he's called the Mariner. Right. He's like the man with, with no name, and he's a loner until he meets these, these this lady and, and the kid. And mm -hmm. he has, like, a journey. Like, there's a character arc, and he grows as a character. And I feel like there might have been someone on set who had a different vision, and they tried to, I don't know, they tried to, to change the tone, and it felt it was aimed more at kids. Like, it was supposed to be, like, this Disney version of this post-apocalyptic film. And, and so I think I feel like I feel like it's more like a, a missed opportunity. To, this movie could have been way better if they made small adjustments. Like, just, for example, in terms of, like, the way they directed the quote-unquote bad guys, the smokers, to act. Um, not so over the top. Like, like tone it down a bit. Um, so little things like that. Like, I feel like it's a missed opportunity. Like now, um, Also, there are, like, multiple versions of this uh, movie floating around. Like, there is the director's cut, which I think eventually got released on blu-ray if i'm not mistaken um i think so yeah that so i i watched it once like way back when i worked at the video store i think but anyways i remember watching it was like three hours long which was like, this movie is already long as is and i didn't like a lot of the the, the the choices that they made like for example at the end of the film they have to explain that they are on mount everest and at the end of the film they have to give them a name and they give them like the name they give them is ulysses i'm like come on guys um, so things like that really bug me. Like I like the ending of this movie has is where he's still the man with no name. He's still mysterious. We we're not entirely sure why he wants to leave the island. Although he says he's getting landsick. I like the, the ending better here. 
he gets really freaked out. You can see like in his face that he's freaked out by the, the way the, the land doesn't move and also by the animals on there. It's all very unfamiliar to him. And I think what this movie does a good job setting up of why I like his character is that, uh, you know, in the very beginning, he's just he's set in his ways. He's a person who's comfortable on a ship. He likes things to be his way. Uh, and that's a theme that plays throughout the entire movie and in his arguments with, you know, the little girl Enola. Uh, she's constantly upending his, you know, equilibrium, right? His way of doing things. But they set that up at the very beginning that he has his routines, he has his ship, he's made himself like a nest almost. And these people just completely destroy it. And, uh, and in the end, he just kind of wants to go back to that. And he, you can see this look on his face. That he's a little freaked out by being on land. And he see, they see the wild horses run by and that freaks him out. He doesn't know what the hell those things are. Uh, he just kind of wants to go back to his way of life, even though he's had this little interlude that, you know, he clearly got something emotional out of, but he's got to go because he doesn't he doesn't belong with them. He just belongs out sailing by himself. Yeah, but I also want to address like the, the tonal thing. You're absolutely right. So the biggest problem that Waterworld has is that it's it's uh, wrestling between two tones. And one is that very serious trying to be almost a Mad Max thing. And the other thing is, like I said, trying to be almost a comic book movie or kind of almost a Sam Raimi movie. To me, what I see is like, this is the greatest missed opportunity for the a closest thing to a Sam Raimi Darkman style movie that that uh, that I'd seen in a while. And when I rewatched it, I was, that's what I was kind of hoping it would have leaned more into. So I didn't mind the goofiness of the bad guys if the rest of the movie had kind of had that off-kilter, skewed dark man-esque kind of qualities to it uh because a lot of the movie does have that and that's where i kind of like wish that it would lean more into that it's got a lot of strange stuff in it and right up until the very end with how he saves enola and kills dennis hopper in the end it's this it's a goofy thing and if they were trying to make this into a serious movie whoever saw that in the script should have been like whoa wait a second he bungee jumps off of a hot air balloon and then he pulls her up out of the water and three dudes crash into each other like the three stooges and all blow up like that makes no sense for a serious movie mad max would have never had something like that but it does make sense for a goofy comic book like dark man style movie i would put this movie in a category with a movie like the dark crystal um and i'm sure there's a like labyrinth like movies like that where it's these movies aimed at an audience that's like a family audience but they are dark and twisted but yet they're they have like a touch of comedy and they have these over the top performances and these, you know, it could be hokey. And so like, I know that sounds weird because Waterworld is an action movie and those are like these fantasy adventures aimed at a family audience. But to me, it's kind of like the same thing, right? Like when I'm watching this movie, I feel like, like there's, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with the fact that, I mean, I guess you could argue, like you could critique the movie and say that there is something wrong with the fact that it it, it has like this these odd tonal shifts, but like I'm not entirely sure like if they had played it the whole entire film, if it had been played like for not laughs, but if they had if the mood was lightened the whole entire film, I don't think it would have worked. I think it would have just been a complete disaster. If it was darker, it might have worked. The action might not have worked, though, and they would have needed a different score. Clearly, this I, I think, like, the score for this movie tells you everything you need to know about it. Like, how serious was it intended to be with a score like that? It's this rousing, like, a, you know, again, comic book superhero score. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> I get what you're saying. It's Newton Howard, right? Yeah. Okay, yep. I figured. Just I didn't even I didn't even I was I was gonna look it up, but I just figured it was him. It, it just sounds like his his, his like style. It um, does, yeah. See, the thing is, like, I, again, like, I, I guess for me personally, like, I would have preferred a darker, more serious, like, more mature film throughout. And, like, again, I did have a problem with the villains while watching the movie. But mm. I know a lot of people like the movie for that very reason, because it's sort of hokey over the top and cartoonish at times. So because it, it like, walks a fine line between being dark and twisted and it's post-apocalyptic, like, film, which is kind of depressing, but at the same time, it's, like, light and fun and has those, um... What is the name of the actor Errol Flynn, right? Those Errol Flynn moments, like... Swashbuckling. Yeah, exactly. And so... Like, I think that if you take away one, people would complain it didn't have those elements. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know. This is, like, again, we used this word last week when we talked about Top Gun, or at least I did. I kept saying it's fascinating. It's it's fascinating to watch these different styles clash in the same movie and yet somehow work. So you could – but I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is you could have clearly made it better. You can make any movie better. And there's lots of it, w- ways that they could have made this this better uh, this movie better and improved the film, improved the screenplay, improved the performances. But it's, it's strange because it still somehow works. And I think, again, it works because at the end of the day, this is an action movie. And – the action scenes are incredible. Like they are really, really, really uh, well made. Um, And, and there are moments like there's the moment when he goes underwater with, Oh my God. Is it Helen? Oh yeah. Yeah. Helen. Right. Okay. Helen of Troy. That makes sense. So (laughs) they go underwater and he puts her in sort of like this, this huge bubble so she can breathe. And then you realize there's a city, like a full city underwater. So that's when you, realize, you the viewer, realizes, or at least I did. Because um, I never watched a trailer, by the way, when I first watched this movie. So I had no idea the whole entire world was underwater. Um, oh, okay. So, so the, for me, that was a big moment. Because like I know in the trailer, they spoil it, right? Like they say right away the, at the start of the trailer that the whole entire world is underwater well, because... The, the polar ice cap. They say that at the beginning of the movie, though. Remember the Universal logo turns into the act. And it's like the polar, the future, the polar ice caps. But the first time I watched a movie, I just didn't even notice. Like, that's what I'm saying. So when I got, so I'm oh, talking okay. about the first time I watched a movie, not like last night. So when I saw it after the first time, I thought that was such a clever plot twist. But like you said, they do say, say at the beginning of the movie. But, um, and I still love that scene. Like, I love that scene. I mean, you can question the science behind it. Like, would oh, yeah. it actually cover the whole entire planet? And would the water rise so high to the point that it's like 14,000 feet in the air? <laughs> like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> there's not that much polarized gaps. <laughs> no, I don't think, uh, I don't think it can cover the entire planet and then rise that high t- towards like Mount Everest. But, but anyhow. No. No, and, and he also couldn't take her down that deep in a diving bell and then have absolutely no, you know, she doesn't get the bends coming back up. This isn't the abyss where they're trying to do deep water diving realistically. This is like, again, total total comic book thing. But 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 the original script, it had a different explanation. I'm not entirely sure what it was. It, it was something more like future sci-fi fantasy where it had to do with the planets and the gravity, which caused the ocean to rise like i'm not entirely sure i never read the original script so it went through various drafts and different writers i mean joss whedon came in and did a draft apparently stay on for seven weeks which he he hated working on this movie 
Um, so who knows, right? Like clearly the movie, the original script did change from the actual product that we got at the end, at the, the, the final results. But mm-hmm. in the end, like, I mean, like, for example, people would nitpick about um, the fact the fact that his character is like a mutant, right? Like, as they say in the movie, like he has gills and 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 web feet. Web but feet. but but the thing is, like, I just read an article yesterday, uh, which uh, claims that uh, modern humans, like basically kids that have been born in the past, like whatever, five, ten years, they have like more bones in their legs and they they do not have wisdom teeth and like they're they're like humans are adapting right and this movie is supposed to take place like in the year 2500 which is like far away so it's it's possible that people will adapt i mean they're obviously aware of other mutants because they they pick him up right or you know right away as being a mutation right they identify him quickly as a mutation meaning they've seen other mutations come along as well and they know that it happens i i think it's just a fun idea whether or not it's scientifically plausible that humans could grow gills if the world turned into water or if humans could survive at all period on water like that it doesn't really matter because i think it's a really really fun concept of to have this half man half fish who exists in a world where human beings live in the water um, so, and I want to get back to this because I think this is the the most important thing about Waterworld that that uh, you you brought it up, and I think people who haven't seen this movie need to check it out for this reason. And that is, I want to get back to talking about the action scenes and why they're so good. You brought up how good they are; they are really, really good. This is I, watching it again every time I watch Waterworld. I'm impressed with, like you said, the raid on the atoll is a fantastic set piece. But just even some of the other little action scenes that come up over the course of the movie, like when the plane spots the the, the boat that they're on, uh, and it starts to get like with oh, there's a whole thing with a harpoon gun, and it gets itself tangled, and just fantastic stuff. Um, so well edited, so well staged. You kind of always know where everything where everything is, but shot in such an amazing way. I think. I really, this is where I have to give credit, I guess, to Kevin Reynolds, because the way this movie is shot, like all the bird's eye views, all the epic, there's a, there's a sense of epicness to this movie and to the action scenes, because he really lets you see a lot of what's going on. And a lot of action movie directors don't do that anymore. They, they zoom in pretty close so that you can be focused on a specific segment of the scene. There's a lot. He really pulls that camera back and lets you just soak in the environment and everything that's happening um, where you've got hundreds of boats and, and um, personal watercraft and you've got a massive atoll that everybody is circling and you've got people jumping over it and fires raging and guns, you know, shooting through it. And you can see people running around the decks all while Kevin Costner is lying, you know, in a cage sinking, sinking further and further into this mud pit. It's not really mud. It's actually like, human remains <laughs> but um everything he really lets you pull back and i love that about this movie i love that he lets you see everything but he still edits it in a very up-tempo kind of way so that it, it maintains that excitement well the opening scene i think is the best scene in the movie and i guess i'm jumping the gun here because that's gonna be a question later but the way it's it's filmed it's incredible like you never uh, loose focus on the action and where the characters are, where Kevin Costner is. Like he's he like like there's like there's like there's, there's like this like a simple camera shot, but it speaks volumes because this is like when the movie starts, right? So he has the plant, 
And so mm-hmm. while he's trying to operate the sailboat and you have like the, the smokers chasing him, the director still finds a way to show the plant either in the foreground or in the background because the whole entire film, like the journey is trying to find land, right? And so you just start the movie and then it's, it's like it's like a big huge hint that like, yes, there, there clearly is a land somewhere because this guy's got a plant which was planted somewhere, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then he's also trying to get the bag that's left in the middle of the ocean. And they have these shots where they show where the bag is, like the distance from the bag to his sailboat to like the smokers and who's going to get to the bag first. And then you have the additional character. I'm not entirely sure what his role is, but you know, the guy who initially meets him at, at the beginning of the movie. He's um, just supposed to show the danger, I think, of meeting somebody out there. Like, lone right. are dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. But the way that entire sequence is shot and the way we get to witness Kevin Costner actually operate the sailboat, right? Like, if anyone's gone sailing, they would say, like, that's the way you do it. If you're, like, one man on this, like, sailboat, that's how you're going to have to operate it and sail it. And I just thought that was, like, an incredible sequence. And you see it again throughout the whole whole entire film. Like, this dude knows how to direct action. Like you said, the raid is incredible because there's so much going on. We're getting introduced to the smokers, right, technically for the first time. I mean, they appear at the beginning of the film, but we don't really know who they are. But here you got Mm -hmm. Dennis Hopper showing up. You have all of these different, like, you know, characters. You have the, the old man from Up. That goes into the balloons, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you have um, you have Helen, you have an a, Enola, you have uh, the Mariner, Kevin Costner's character. Like, there's so much going on. It's, it's this big epic like action set piece, and unlike say like a Michael Bay film, there is no shaking shaky cam. There's no like extreme close-ups to kind of like hide the fact that they can't pull off whatever action sequence they're trying to pull off. Uh, it's like a lot of fire shots. You know exactly what's going on. And it's a real set. Like I said, it's a $5 million set in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, like nowadays, a lot of this would be done on CGI in front of a green screen. And so you have oh, to yeah. give. So like, you know, you can, we can, anyone can pin, uh, uh, get all nitpicky about the performances and the script and the story. But overall, I mean, I can't say this is a bad movie. There's too much good in this movie. And and it starts with it starts with the director and directing those action sequences and of course his crew, the, the cinematographer and the editor. This film by the way has like the editing is incredible. Uh it's like one of those films where, you know, you can sit down and use the action sequences in a classroom, like a film class and sort of like show your students like how well the editor um, how well the editing is like how good of a job the editor did yeah i almost think i mean Waterworld, world it, it, its action scenes are that good and it does what it, it intends to do which is provide a action spectacle uh there are very few action movies that have action scenes this well done in them um i think that got massively overlooked when it when during its initial theatrical run. I think it still can get kind of overlooked. I could watch these action scenes. I I was enthralled by them as a kid, and I could watch them over and over again. This was one of those movies where the action inspired me, just because it was more creative action than I saw in in a lot of other movies. Um, I I just love stuff where he jumps into the sail of the boat and and, uh, lands down on his nets down below. Or when he gets flung off the boat, you know, off the top mast, 
into the water and these are practical stunts that are they're doing it you know in the end when he when he you know runs along the deck of the the exxon valdez and he throws the uh the hook up into the plane you know the 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 axle of the plane again wide shots a normal action director cuts the close-up so that you don't actually get to see the entire you, you might see him running out as the plane is approaching, but he'll cut really quick to some sort of close-up so that you don't actually have to have an actor throw the hook up while the plane is taking off. Well, they don't do that. They actually have him do it. Or Costner, you know, going down that rope in the end where it's actually Costner up there, you know, 50 feet in the air sliding down this rope. And you can – they make a point – Kevin Reynolds makes a point of letting you see Costner's face as he's swinging around the rope. You, you talked about him operate – or not around the rope, but around the ship – you talked about him operating that boat, and those to me are some of the most fascinating uh, and interesting like action scenes. It's just seeing him work that boat uh, when he's avoiding the nets, you know, that the smokers have laid out in a trap for them, and he's having them shift from from side to side in order to shift the weight of the boat so that they can make one end go up and and avoid the the nets, uh, stuff like that. I think, or how he sort of uh, subconsciously knows when to duck when the when the boom is swinging over his head, and he doesn't even have to be looking at it. He just he knows the boat so well that he knows exactly when to to move his head out of the way. Uh, stuff like that, I'm fascinated completely by. It. I think this is a, anybody who who wants to see some really really good action scenes definitely needs to check Waterworld out. There are some hokey things you know in between, and we'll get to a a, a little bit of that. But um, it's it's certainly worth it just for the spectacle of the action, I believe. You know, when I talk about my categories, and I would put this in the same category as a movie like The Dark Crystal, I would also add in a movie like The Fifth Element. I mean, there's tons of movies I can I can name, but it, it's 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 one of those movies that you just it's just really fun to watch. So even if there is a tonal shift, it's still like 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 it, like put it this way: if you watch the movie like like you just watch a specific scene as opposed to the entire film, like that scene in itself works, right? So there might be, uh, it might totally shift to the next scene, but still within that actual scene, like it, it works. Like it's, it's an entertaining scene. Um, you know, like I'm not a fan of kids in movies back in like the nineties. Like nowadays it's, 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 it's been better because we seem to have better child actors these days. And I can, you know, I could change sort of like the dialogue with the kid towards the end. I really didn't need oh, yeah. I I did not need to hear her talk. <laughs> no. No. She yep, was way more interesting right. when she didn't talk. Um, yep. or when he's yelling at her. When he's yeah. yelling at her, she's much more interesting. <laughs> yeah, like she's way when better when she's not talking. Something. But but yeah. but but that but still the scene at the end like that's where you would make a minor change. But I wouldn't change anything else about the sequence at the end when he's trying to break in to save her. You know what I mean? Like, the action there is great. It's just I wouldn't have her talk. Yeah, yeah. And we could definitely get in like that. When we talk about things we're going to change, I think that little Enola may come up a little bit. Um, not that it's Tina Majorino's fault. Majorino? Yeah. Um, this movie is really like a sequel to Super Mario. <laughs> you, got, you got Dennis Hopper. Right. you know who played king bowser it's just like uh, it's the underwater world oh of course just a little bit dark maybe it's the lost levels kind the of the lost levels <laughs> <laughs> all right i think on that note we'll wrap up our initial discussion here and uh we'll segue into our five questions after we play another clip here's another clip from Waterworld. world okay, don't move okay yeah 
Oh, oh, looking real good, yeah. There. There. All done. Now, there may be some small problem in depth perception. Well, it better not screw up my short game. Well? Looks good. I like it. Nice. Uh, yeah, I like it better than you realize. Much better. What do you say, Toby? The truth. Looks like shit. That's why I love children, no guile. <laughs> it does look like shit. And it feels like cold shit. Deacon? All right, that was another clip from Waterworld. Uh, we are back now with the segment of the podcast where we've got to get a little more into some of the specifics of this. We're going to ask some questions. Some of them will be positive. Some of them will be possibly negative. We'll see. Um, all right, but we always like to kick things off with a positive thing. So, Rick, what was your favorite scene from Waterworld? I think you revealed this already a little bit, but let's hear it. Um, so, well, no, because the opening scene, I think, is the best scene. Because I think... The way they set up the film, the the way they established the film, the character, what the movie is about, the opening just speaks volumes, even with very little dialogue. But my favorite scene is the raid. Like, you know, there's a difference between best and, and favorite in my eyes. And sure. my favorite scene is by far the raid. I mean, we've already talked about how well, um, how good of a job the director did in establishing those action sequence, action scenes and, um, you know, just like like a little shot, like it, it's gonna sound weird, but when we get introduced to the dudes on the um, the water skis, so you get the mm-hmm. shot of them on the water skis, and the Brilliant, camera by the way. so goofy. Again, how could they have thought this was gonna be a serious movie? <laughs> I know, but then the camera, like I don't know if it, if they're filming in a helicopter or it's a crane. I'm assuming maybe a helicopter, but the camera moves up and then it reveals the plane. Cause initially when I watched the movie for the first time, I thought they were just getting like, it was a boat, right? So it's like the, the water skiers are holding onto a rope that's attached to a boat, but no, it's an actual plane. And then they're heading towards the, the atoll. And so there's a ramp that gets revealed and you're like, okay, so they're going to like, just jump over like evil Knievel style over the walls and the, know, it had to be a plane because that way the plane could kind of pull them over the wall. Exactly. And then they could, but yeah. the way they slowly reveal the plane and the ramp, and then we get the stunt men flying over the wall. Like, again, these dudes are actually performing the stunts live, right? Uh, and they do the camera, too. They, they, the they camera. have the camera like a, a POV shot of the camera going over the wall, which just looks fantastic. Yeah, so that entire sequence I just loved. And, uh, you know, I also like the fact that he's in the cage because they caged him up, right? They, they held, they're, they're, he's now, like, he's being held as a prisoner. And so it tips over and he's going to drown. You're like, wait a minute, he has the gills, so can he breathe? But not really because, like you said, it's not water. It's it's like... The mud, like human, human decomposed exactly. humans, basically. <laughs> um, and... and, and the way they establish all of those characters and we understand and, and also the way that the sequence ends, by the way, because um, because uh, I was like, because, you know, most movies, he would have just had machine gun and he would have fired back. But they found a, 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 a more interesting and a, a more clever way of him fighting back in which he sort of like, is it a harpoon that he attaches to the side of the boat that's firing on him? And then yep. he forces them to turn and then as they are turning, they start opening fire on their own men. And I thought that was a, a, such a genius way 
of him escaping and at the same time firing back on the smokers. Yeah, he essentially causes chaos among them by fo- by forcing them into some friendly fire. And it allows you it's it's something that you wouldn't normally see at the beginning of a movie is the him blowing up like the main villain. Like that giant explosion that he like that's something that would you'd think would be reserved for the end of the movie, right? Uh, that kind of moment where, oh, the villain's like, oh boy, and then his whole ship blows up and he's got to dive off and all that kind of stuff. You just don't generally see a big strike like that against the main villain that early in the movie when they've just met. That's their first meeting. So it was kind of a cool thing. I also love the, I, I do love the way the smokers act in that too. I love the guy that's trying to warn the the gunner to stop, to stop shooting. For some reason, I love that guy. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not even going to like beat around the bush. That's my favorite scene too. I've loved the Atoll. I, I love the whole Atoll sequence from the very moment that he arrives all the way up until that. I like everything about the whole Atoll and I think it ends perfectly. And it's, uh, it, you know, I wouldn't say I was sad to see the Atoll go because, you know, you lose that fantastic set vis- and visually throughout the rest of the movie, even though I think Kevin Reynolds keeps things very fresh on the boat, um, you know, the, I, I don't know if it's a catamaran or a trireme or what. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not knowledgeable of, of uh, watercraft, but uh, he keeps things as visually fresh as he can. But, you you know, I I do love that set. And it was a, it was such a cool, a cool set to, to hang out on. Just a different kind of world. Um, it felt so real. Just just quickly. So there is the action sequence at the start. There is the action sequence at the end. There is the raid, which is our favorite scene. But there's also the scene in which they have to fight the airplane. And he Mm -hmm. uses the sailboat to find a way to fight back and bring the airplane down. Like and again, it's just like it's really clever. It's the the, it's and I don't know if you credit the because like I'm trying to I'm trying to think like in the actual screenplay, does it does it detail how exactly these action sequences like take place like step by step? Like I doubt it. I'm sure that's something they probably had to work on, and that was probably a con- an ongoing process. Uh, some of it might have been scripted, but you know, once you actually get out there in the ocean and you realize what you can and cannot do, <laughs> you have to change your plans. Obviously, it was a really, really fun idea. And again, like th- this is one of those things where it's like, how could anybody think this is a serious movie? She shoots the harpoon way up into the sky. By the way, probably more cable than that a realistic harpoon would have. But it also happens to go right through the guy, the gunner, on the plane. So, like, it's a perfect shot. Again, this, that, that's great if you're talking about a comic book movie. It's, you know, if you're talking about an actual Mad Max movie, probably not so much. You don't get that lucky shot. But I love the the tension of them wrapping the, you know, wrapping the wire around the mast and how it's kind of... Really, what happens as soon as he lets Helen and Enola on his boat, over the course of the rest of the movie, the boat is slowly destroyed more and more and more via each action scene until finally it's just completely burned they kind of wreck his life uh, the boat represents his life and they just pretty much destroy it bit by bit until finally it's just torched and it's just a husk at the <laughs> at one point which i always felt kind of sad for him about all he wanted to do is just live his life uh, but yeah i love that i love that plane scene too it, nothing will top the atoll scene for me, but there are moments in the other action scenes and, you know, the one on the, the Exxon Valdez in the end where the entire oil tanker explodes 
and uh, you know he's running around while that plane's taking off, and I, I I like all that stuff quite a bit as well. It's just that the there's so much. You talked about Errol Flynn. They're, the swashbuckling is really in the atoll raid. That's when it feels like this is an adventure, and I I think you're right. Like the old Robin Hood would have been right at uh, home in this world where the at the time that the new Robin Hood was was hanging out. All right. So uh, that being said, here we go. This is where it's going to get interesting. I mean, we may have different answers to this one. Who knows? But what would you change? If there was one thing that you could change about Waterworld, what would it be? You only get to change one thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to let you go first, though. Okay, I'm actually going to talk about a specific scene uh, that I think holds the movie back. I, and even though, like, I, I, I'm with you and that I don't like the, the speech by the little girl at the end, I think it's completely clumsy and whatever. But it's 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 also, at that point, the movie's kind of going goofy anyway. Um, I would get rid of the extra scene where they run across another Mariner. And it's kind of like the, where he sells Helen to that guy for pieces of paper, it serves zero purpose in the movie. Like, none. Other than to show that he's a complete asshole and then somehow you're supposed to like him because he, he decided not to sell this woman to this guy for a piece of paper. He changed his mind, so now he's a good guy. It doesn't work for his character. I mean, I like his character being mean, but in this particular case, it doesn't really work. Um... And it also offers nothing new about we'd already seen an encounter with another another loner, another mariner out there, and that one went bad. That one went south. So we have no reason to expect any different from this one. It would have been more interesting had it been different, had this guy not been a threat, and then maybe the smoker threat comes in afterwards, because I believe that's when the plane uh, well, no, that's not when the plane starts coming in. But um it would. It just doesn't. It doesn't serve any purpose, and it takes up a, a, a good chunk of the movie. It's like a ten-minute scene, and we just really didn't need this. Uh, it also just. I don't know. I'm trying to think of any redeeming quality of it. It's not interesting visually. It's not interesting as an. It's not a great action scene. Like you don't really get to see him fight the guy, and him fighting the guy has no tension because we already knew this encounter was going to go south from the very minute that it happened. Like it was so obvious. The guy was crazy that of course they were going to, this was going to be bad. And the, the, the very first scene in the movie taught us that other people out there are dangerous. So it just didn't need to be there. That's actually sort of, that was on my list of things I would change, but that was more like, I would just remove it. Like you said. And the reason being is because you nailed it. We already know that he's not going to let this dude rape her. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like, like unless he, unless that actually happens, and that's that's a completely different movie, which is really dark. Totally twisted, different right? movie. But you're not <laughs> yeah. doing that movie. So you know this is going nowhere, and you're not giving us a good action sequence because the action is taking place below deck, and we're not seeing it. And it's kept off screen. So the actual scene doesn't really do anything much in terms of, like, fleshing out the character, helping these characters grow, helping us like or dislike the characters. All it's doing is it's adding an extra 10 minutes to the screen time, of which I think this movie is already too long. I can't imagine, yes. like, actually ever wanting to watch the three-hour cut ever again. Um, so that's a good one. Uh, I'm actually just going to stick with, because, like, you know, like, there, there is, like, because the thing is, because it's weird, because there's different cuts, right? There's even a fan cut, which takes the best of the director's cut and the, the theatrical cut and combines the two. And the only thing about that cut is I just don't like it at the end when she starts raving about 
the Mariner and how great he is, and and the little girl just won't shut up. Like to me, I just mm. I I would I just want to sit back and watch Kevin Costner perform his stunts and do his thing and be the ultra cool man with no name. I don't need the little girl to tell me why he's cool. I know why the dude's cool. Okay, so right. I would change that. Yeah, I, I think that's that is a, a big one. Like it kind of ruins a little bit of the coolness of the end. It takes away from him being cool. Um, and I think that it works really well with him doing his silent action while Dennis Hopper is speaking. You know, when Dennis Hopper is giving his big speech about dry land to the, the, the ship's crew, you know, the whole population there. And then Kevin Pastor is going throughout and, and, and murdering people down below. I think that works just fine. It does not work when she's giving a big speech. <laughs> uh, because she just doesn't have it. You know, she's not very good in the movie, frankly, as you know, like there, there's a, it's fine when he like, that's why you almost root for him. It's kind of funny when, when, when he yells at her, when he throws her off the boat and you know, all that kind of stuff, because she's kind of, she really, really is kind of annoying. <laughs> no, she's she, like, like, it's not a good performance. Like it's, it's honest no. to God, not, I, I, I understand she's a kid and I understand a lot of people kid. like her from Napoleon her Dynamite, but she's, yeah. it's not a good performance. She never once does this kid look terrified or scared, even though she's supposed to be? Yeah. Yep. And, you know, again, like, it, it's, you know, you end up laughing when Dennis Hopper smacks her in the head or something like that, right? You know, to tell her to shut up. Because she is kind of annoying. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would... You could change... You could recast her, I think, and that might, that might do something for the movie, but it also could have been the direction i'm not entirely convinced it was her fault i, I think it was the, the the direction because i don't think the performance from triple horn is great either but i think it's because she was directed to act a specific way yeah and unfortunately it goes to like she was directed to act in it like as if this was a serious movie and it seems like and costner was definitely acting as if it was a serious movie but nobody else in the entire movie was and so that's where it's kind of Costner sometimes seems to get it, <laughs> sometimes, but I don't think Gene Triplehorn ever really gets it. I wonder, I, 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 I am curious to know what the movie would be like if Kevin Costner actually directed the film. He has a good eye, too, so I have a feeling we wouldn't lose too much of the visual flair. I don't know if the action sequences would have been quite as good. Um, I, I, think we, I don't think the action would be quite as good, but I think we would have better acting. We might. We might. Although, you know, the thing is, okay, so when you look at Kevin Reynolds' other movies, look at Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, there was also something just slightly askew about that. Even though that was a more serious movie, I think, it definitely also, this director clearly likes kind of quirky, oddball, dark, dark, darkish kind of quirk. Okay, but wait, um, wait. So that movie, you mean the movie he directed, which Kevin Costner stars in, and Kevin Costner sort of like helped direct the movie? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I think he's great at action. I mean, look at the uh, the count the the Count of Monte Cristo, right? Yep. Robin Hood and Waterworld. I think he's great at directing action. I'm not sold on him as a director that can tell a great story and direct actors. I think he has to rely on the talent to bring out the best in the screenplay and in the performances. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think he knows where to put a camera for all of those things. I but I think you're right. He may not know how 
exactly to guide the actors into something coherent too. Because one of the big, biggest problems I think with Robin Hood is people also find those same tonal shifts being a problem where it does get kind of goofy to super dark and, you know, um, so yeah, it's very possible that he doesn't quite get that sort of storytelling and he doesn't know how to guide his actors into something where, uh, where throughout an entire movie, they sort of have the right flow. His, his, um, his, his filmography is strange because, okay, like if, if someone watches Waterworld or Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and or The Count of Monte Cristo, and you're like, this dude directed this movie also in this movie, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I can see the dude that directed Robin Hood, directed Waterworld, and, and The Count of Monte Cristo. But mm-hmm. if you tell me that this is the dude who also directed 187 with Sam Jackson, to be like, what? <laughs> or Fandango, <laughs> or The Beast, or Risen, it's a very strange like filmography, like a very strange resume. I, I tried watching, I, I don't know how that island name is pronounced, Rapa Nui, the Easter Island. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried watching that once. That's also a huge departure. First of all, the entire movie, is, I mean, it's not, it's subtitled. Um, but just a huge departure in kind of the, the tone that the, from the previous movies that that guy has done. I mean, it, it, he's an interesting director, for sure. I have not seen the Hatfields and the McCoys, which is when he and Costner reunited, you know, a few years ago. So, but I've heard good things about it, so it's possible I might check that out at some point. That that movie does have an uh, an environmental uh, message to it, right? Like Waterworld, yes, which we didn't yes, it does. talk about, but because it's there, but it's not there. <laughs> it's extremely surface. They're like, oh, the the ancient people must have done something terrible to create this world of water, and then they've got the Exxon Valdez, but they turn it into a joke. <laughs> it's just a joke, and like the smokers call him Saint Joe, the captain of the Exxon, like. <laughs> the whole things it's kind of warped humor in a way the whole movie's a little warped and I, you can tell that kevin reynolds definitely has that um <laughs> just because robin hood has got some warped humor as well though less so this one he definitely brings it out a little more uh but yeah no there's there's, there's again never would claim this is a perfect movie but damn i find it entertaining for so many reasons uh all right that being said with this like all the weirdness of this movie who is the MVP for you of Waterworld? Well, you see, the thing is, is I want to say the director, Kevin Reynolds, because the best thing about Waterworld is the action. Like, even if you like Kevin Costner's performance, some people do not like it. Some people like his performance. It's still not the best thing about the movie. Kevin Costner is a star, but he's still not the best thing about the movie. Although we give him credit because he performed his own stunts, he fits the role, perfectly cast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, yeah. the director of photography, like, you know, yes, he did an amazing job, but he's also shooting in the Pacific Ocean alongside Hawaii. The scenery is beautiful. Like, unless you're really bad at your job, you're going to get a good shot, right? Yeah, the set and the production design is fantastic, so you're going to... Yeah, and we're not going to say the dude that made the $5 million set, because it's not a dude, it's dudes... <laughs> Yeah, it's lots thousands of people. Of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna have to say the director, and also like the fact that they have thousands of people on set because you have the extras, you have the crew, you have the you know, there's so many people like on set, and as a director, that must be a lot. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of stress. That's a lot of responsibility. Um, the fact that so many things went wrong, like you know, you hear the horror stories, and if it's true or not true, we don't know. Like you know, there's a story about how on the set that they built in the middle of the ocean, they forgot to 
at washrooms apparently so people had to like wait to go to the washroom they would have to like go back to shore like to hawaii whatever it is like i don't know if that's true you know it could be one of those early, those those like it, it sounds real <laughs> it sounds real and, you know the fact that the the the, the set sunk the fact that they they had a film in the middle of like a hurricane like so many things went wrong on the set and i don't think it's I don't think that the director's to blame. Like, I, I, he could have been to blame for some of what went wrong. But regardless, at the end of the day, he, he finished the film. He didn't quit. He didn't get fired. He he directed some of the best action sequences for any movie released that year. Um, I was trying to remember where I put Waterworld on my list of the best movies of 1995. Because it's on the list. It's not high. It's on the list, though. You know, So it's still like one of yeah. the better films that came out that year. Um, so yeah, yeah, so I'm gonna go with Kevin Reynolds, um, and I, I'm, I, it, it's not the. I mean, I, would you say this is a better film than Robin Hood? No, I would no, not. I would say it's not Robin his best film. Yeah. No, I really, really like Waterworld. I want to say that like straight up front. I think this is a great movie, and it's inspired my imagination since I was a kid. And I watched it today, and I got the or the other day, and I got the same feelings of like it makes me. It's one of those movies that makes me want to make movies. There is a director's cut, which I don't. Th I, I think there's there's good things to be found in the director's cut. I you know there's things I do not like, like I, I dislike the ending. Um, mm -hmm. But that's one of those things where, and this is not. It's not the first time it's happened where you get a director's cut, and the director's cut is worse than the actual theatrical cut. It happens more often than not. Frankly. Yeah, exactly. Because when you're the director, there's all like you know how much work went into even like the smallest scene. It, it makes sense. Like, you put in so much work into, say, like, filming this one scene that was cut out of the movie, and you want to put it back because of all the work that went into it, but you don't realize that overall, like, it's just, it's a bad decision to put it into the movie because it doesn't make the movie better. I'm not entirely sure who edited the movie because the story is that Kevin Costner tried to re-edit the film or kicked out the editor, and the editor didn't actually edit the entire film, which is Peter Doyle, or Boyle, sorry. Um, so did Peter Boyle have final say on how the movie was edited? No, because they never really do. They they take instructions and direction from the director. But was Kevin Reynolds in the editing room? Who knows? I don't know because <laughs> there's different cuts. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if, uh, at that point whether they were on speaking terms or not, him and Kevin Reynolds. Obviously, so all right. Uh, I want to say Kevin Reynolds too because I do, I do think the action scenes, but I don't want to just copy you. Uh, so I'm going to say Kevin Costner because I will bet this. I would bet that Costner's passion is what ultimately got this movie made. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, this was clearly meant as a star vehicle for him. And he was kind of riding high off the success of Dances with Wolves. And um, obviously Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was a mess, massive hit, even though critics, you know, sneered at his lack of an accent. Um. And he had he also had the bodyguard, I believe, at this point with Whitney Houston, which was a big hit. Even though I've never seen that movie, and I don't know, I don't really care about that movie, but I, apparently it made a lot of money. So he was riding high off of success. He was gonna, he was also doing interesting movies uh, at the same time, like A Perfect World, uh, the Clint Eastwood movie, which is very, very good for anybody that hasn't seen. It's like one of his most underrated movies, um, with Costner and Eastwood as a cop and Laura Dern, I believe. Um, so Costner, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he, he's, he's obviously game for everything in this movie. He's game for doing all the stunts, uh, being put through the ringer on so, on so many occasions. Like this could, could not have been a comfortable movie for him to, 
to film. He's wet the entire time. The entire time. Uh, he's, he's underwater, in the water, soaked with water, even when he's up, you know, on, on dry, not land, but on his boat, on the atoll. He's always wet. It could not have been comfortable. It's got to be always be greasy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if his passion for getting this movie done, he was probably sort of the, the, the one that really wanted to do this movie in the first place. The studio was high on him because he was a big movie star, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if he forced this movie through, including being in the editing room, doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. I, my first shot would be Kevin. My first vote would be for Kevin Reynolds, but I'm going to go with Costner just for just for variety's sake. You know, you know, the thing is, when we talk about how critics and audiences were unfair to the movie because of the hoopla, the gossip, the rumors about the making of the film, I think a lot of people wanted to hate the movie because it starred Kevin Costner, who, mm-hmm. because cause at the time, like, Kevin Costner wasn't seen as an action movie star, really. Yeah, he had gotten really popular, and critics turned, I remember this, critics just turned on him. He was too popular. I think that was the problem. His movies were making money, a lot of money, and... They're not – I mean, a lot of people I, – I think Robin Hood Steve's is a really good movie. I like it quite a bit. I, I like it – I would say it's a better movie than Waterworld, even though I like Waterworld quite a bit. Uh, I think, like I said, A Perfect World. I remember that movie getting criticized. That's a great movie, and it's a drama, but he's really, really good in it. And I don't remember too many critics praising Kevin Costner's performance because they didn't like to praise Kevin Costner's performances. No, but I, I think the, the I think the problem – the problem is, and I could be wrong, because JFK was, you know, I think like critics loved it. The Bodyguard, everyone loved it. They, but the thing is, it's because he made Wyatt Earp. And people just yeah. hated the fact that he starred in this movie that was supposed to bring back the Western in a big way. And it completely bombed. And then he made The War, well, which Lawrence I've never Kasdan. seen. Lawrence Kasdan directed Wyatt Earp and did yeah. a terrible job. Yeah, terrible. Uh, and especially and especially Tombstone came out that same year, which was far more entertaining. <laughs> um, yeah, and then The Postman. And you're right. Then The Postman came along, and that was kind of it. That sunk him. That sunk him as, uh, as a serious player. Well, but he did The War, which no one saw. It's the movie with Elijah Wood. Yes. Yeah, back when Elijah Wood was like kind of like a nobody. Yes, yeah. And Costner sort of went down, and then his career uh, was resurrected. And now he's sort of he's found a good career for himself. I think he's turned into a better actor the older that he's gotten. Uh, although he was he was great as a young idealist. I mean, you, when we look at a lot of his movies, it's hard not to like Kevin Costner movies. I mean, when you're talking about No Way Out or you know Bull Durham or Field of Dreams or The Untouchables. JFK, I mean Dance of the Fools. There's a great track record there of young Kevin Costner movies uh, that. It's super easy to to like his movies. He was in a string of hits, and for good reason. So, I, but yeah, at some point he, he, they turned on him. He chose some bad projects. The Postman was a disaster. I'm I could never defend that movie, and he did direct that movie. It is terrible. It's just atrocious. Um, but yeah, man, he's sort of he sort of climbed his way back. He's even directed, I mean, I think Open Range is a very, very nice, old-fashioned Western. Uh, I like that movie quite a bit. Um, so he's, he's gotten back into the director's chair, but he's, he's turned into a good performance. Open Range, I mean, that was 2003. That's, that's a long time ago. 
<laughs> he acts in a lot of stuff. I wouldn't say that he's yeah he's not starring in as many things anymore. What he is, is he has become is just a, a character actor for a lot of movies. Like you know he's in Molly's Game, right, which was only a couple of years ago, and he, he plays the dad in that. Uh, he ends up playing a lot of dads. <laughs> it turns out, but he's also done his work on like uh, The Highwaymen with Woody Harrelson. That was a starring role, though that was a Netflix movie. Um, but it was a big big release uh, about the you know the guys hunting Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, well, he he out of three movies he directed, two are really good. I mean, one won the best, uh, one one Dances with Wolves won Best Picture. Open Range is a really good movie. The Postman's the disaster. Yes, yeah. So hey, that's not too bad of a, of a record though. But yeah, when you look at young Kevin Costner, like his his career up until Waterworld, it was just hit after hit after hit after hit. And they were a wide variety of movies, a wide variety of, I mean, he was in an Oliver Stone movie. He was in a, a Frank Capra-like movie. That would be Field of Dreams. Um, you know, he was in a, a sex comedy, Bull Durham. I mean, it's kind of like he was all over the place. And he was in a straight up, what I would call like a comic book action movie, The Untouchables. Um, a Brian De Palma, you know. The, so he was, he was he was all over the place, but they were all good in their own way. He was really... He was an interesting actor to watch, and I'm not really sure. I think people turned on him after he won the Oscar, and then the next thing he was in was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and he didn't have the accent, and then the next thing you know, it just sort of snowballed from there, and then Waterworld was the crescendo of sort of the anti-Kevin Costner thing. The postman was the nail in the coffin, but I, I feel like Waterworld is when it really, that's when it started to hit its peak, and undeservedly so in my mind. Um. All right, so we should get back to our questions. So, all right, uh, so that all that being said, I think we've kind of already nailed this one. But would you say that this movie passes the Howard Hawks test? Three great scenes and no bad ones. No, no, no. Like, yeah, I can't either. Obviously, no, the, the, not at all. The, like, the, I mean, the, there's the bad scenes, and and I mean, great. Like, there's great action scenes, clearly, but overall, like, there's problems with this movie. And depending on which cut you watch, like, there's more bad scenes in the three-hour cut because the movie's an extra hour long. So, like, no, it does not. Yeah. No, I think right off the bat, just the, the you know, saying that I would cut an entire scene out of the movie tells you something about it. Uh, so, it cannot pass that. I, I It passes the Patrick Murphy test as a great movie. But, uh, no, not the Howard Hawks, yes, unfortunately. All right. Yeah, I don't call it a great movie, though. For me, it's a it's a good movie. Okay. It has great scenes. But I guess not a you're great right. Movie. You're, you're right. I should rephrase that. It is. It's a movie that I enjoy for personal reasons more than I would recommend to anybody else. I wouldn't tell somebody else, "Hey, this is a an absolutely fantastic movie. You need to see this." Sorry, it's one of those movies you recommend with an asterisk. It's like I yes. recommend this movie to you because the action scenes are great. Not you need to see this movie. It's fantastic. You know yeah, I mean? depending on what kind of movies you like, I might I might say you need to see this movie. But I will just say, for me personally, it holds a special place in my heart, I, and it still holds up. I, I looked at it with a discerning eye when I watched it a couple days ago to to make sure I wanted to see the warts and everything. But to me, there's there's so much of this movie that still holds up, even by the standards of today's filmmaking. I think it actually does better than you know a lot of what today's action filmmaking does. So. Yeah, it, it, it's a great movie for me personally, but I couldn't say it was a great movie for you know general audiences. But yeah, you're right; it is a good movie though, for sure. Uh, but that so, as far as general audiences go, what is the audience for Waterworld going forward? Do you see people actually watching this movie? Do you see this movie living on, or is there an audience for this movie? 
Well, I think there is because it's always on TV. And a lot of people I know who like the movie, they all say that if it's on TV, they are most likely not going to change the channel. Um, it still finds an audience today. And I think there's a lot of reason for it. I think because of the history of the making of the film and the the idea that it was like this big Hollywood blockbuster that at one point in time was the most expensive movie ever made until James Cameron came along with Titanic. But there's, a, I mean, yes, it's always going to have an audience. So it's, 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 see, the weird thing about this question is I think that if you're a movie lover, like a real, if you're the type of person that listens to this podcast, regardless of uh, how bad a movie is, there's always a reason to see it. Like you could just be curious because so-and-so is in the movie. Like Jack Black is in this movie. You know, nobody knows yeah. this because, you know, like he's like in one scene in the background. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think at the end of the day, what, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but what makes this movie worth seeing again in 2020 is the action sequences. Because nowadays, as we well know, the action in a lot of movies, I said this last week when we talked about Top Gun and I mentioned the Fast and Furious series or a lot of action movies these days, like even Michael Bay films, um, you know, they cost $248 million to make, which is way more than Waterworld. And yet all of the action is just like non-coherent. Like you can't understand what's going on. It's all done on a computer, CGI, and it's just, it's not as exciting. Um, and so for me, it's like, I like to go back and watch these older films and, 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 you know, admire how they pulled off these crazy stunts and somehow made these incredible action scenes, like in the middle of the Pacific ocean without CGI. Like there is a little bit of CGI in the movie, but not much. And I'm trying to remember when Jurassic Park was released. Was it like 92? 90, 93 is when Jurassic Park was, was released. So this was still, it was in its infancy at this point. Yeah. But you know, like I'm looking at my list actually of the, the, uh, the best movies of 1995, most of which are foreign films. But when it comes to the American films, like the first one on the list is, I guess like, I mean, they're safe from Todd Haynes. There's like David Fincher seven, there's Scorsese's Casino, there's Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys, and there's The Usual Suspects by Brian Singer, just to name a few movies released in 1995. It was I one... Braveheart it, came out in 95, I believe. Yeah, um, Heat. Uh, yep. You know, so it was like, um, you know, even a movie like The City of Lost Children. So all of these movies, like Braveheart, they have more of a darker tone. And I hate to use the word that they are more mature, but they feel more mature and more for like an adult audience. So that's why when a movie like Waterworld comes out in 1995, there's a pushback. If Waterworld was made in 1989, it would probably be considered a masterpiece. I think it just came out in a, in a, in a year where we had so many great movies, like even Strange Days, uh, the Catherine Bigelow film, which is highly underrated. Even a movie like Clueless, you know, one of the greatest romantic um, teen comedies Definitely. ever to die for. <laughs> yes. And this is also the same year that Toy Story was released, you know? So, like, Bridges of Madison County. I mean, like, it's a good year for movies, man. It, it was a good year. 95 was a good year. Leaving Las sure. Vegas. Should I go on? <laughs> <laughs> I know, and you can get lost. Even a summer, you know, blockbuster can get lost in the shuffle of a ton of other great movies. By the way, just look at that list of what came out that year, and then wonder what the hell. When are we ever going to get a year like that again with such great variety in movies? Um, yeah, and Waterworld was essentially the big tentpole release of that year. And you know, it it 
I, I think here's the thing. I think there will be an audience for this movie always as long as people like people are allowed to see shots from this movie, I think there will always be an audience for this movie because I think it looks different than any other action movie ever made. There is not, I I could say, I don't think there's a single movie that looks like Waterworld, period. Even movies that are shot in the ocean for the majority, where if the majority of the movie takes place in the ocean, they don't look like Waterworld. Waterworld is bright and colorful and there's something about it that seems, you know, graphic novelish almost. Uh, in its shots, its framing, everything is done in, in a highly appealing way. That even though the rest of the movie, all or all the movie, can't live up to that necessarily, because it does have its little hokey bits. Um, I think that there will always be an audience drawn towards it just simply because of how it looks. And if they see any shots of of that action, they're going to want to check this movie out. So I think there is. I think this will continue to play on television because I think they can, that's an easy way to lure people in. Um, you know, outside of that, I hope people check it out. I think it, it could be for any young filmmakers out there, please go back to this style of action, <laughs> like learn from this and have the audacity to pull off some of these stunts instead of just relying on green screen wires and CGI, which is how all action scenes nowadays seem to be done. Go look at something like this and see and wonder how the hell did they pull this off? And yeah, it costs a lot of money, but man, they had the, they had the audacity to actually go for it. Hey man, that's why I raved about Tom Cruise last week and the movies yeah. he makes. Yep. It's, it, it makes a huge difference and it. And it leads to genuine thrills when you know that a real person is doing something. It makes that scene far more thrilling. That's why you can still watch the Ben-Hur chariot race scene and people will still be on the edge of their seats because it's real people doing this. Uh, I don't ever get on the edge of my seat in a Marvel action movie or very rarely, I should say very rarely uh, because it's just cartoons fighting other cartoons. So <laughs> it's, a video game. Know, it's kind of like pleasant to the eye sometimes, but that's about it. But I mean, when we, you know, we got to wrap up, but it like, you know, just yeah. quickly mentioning comic book movies, if you look at the Dark Knight and they actually flipped over the 18 wheeler, for example, like you can rewatch that yeah. scene over and over. It's incredible. That's but then awesome. you watch like the Avengers and you're like, okay, so it's a bunch of dudes in front of a green screen. It, it doesn't have the same like oomph. Yeah, a CGI plane that isn't real exploded into a million pieces. And I can be like, wow, I really like the particle effects that they're able to do with these things nowadays. But, uh, <laughs> but other than that, it's not like I, I, I'm i not really impressed. It might look, again, the, the Marvel movies might be visually appealing, but they're not thrilling. And I, I, I was genuinely thrilled, again, by the action scenes from Waterworld. They are thrilling because real people are doing this stuff. And, it, and it's pretty pretty neat. Okay. All right. We will wrap this thing up. Um, all right. So, Rick, where can we find you online? So you can find me over at Goombastomp.com, which is where you can find this very podcast. And uh, also Tilt Magazine, which is the sister site of Goombastomp.com. They are both interconnected. So if you're on Tilt and or Goombastomp, you can easily land on the, the other website, I guess. Just through the navigation menu at the top. But anyways, goombastomp.com. Uh, you can listen to this podcast on uh, just about everywhere from like YouTube to Podbean to, uh, what is it, Google? Well, actually, Google plays like no longer a thing, but uh, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. But just go to goombastomp.com, 
at the top of the website, the navigation menu, it has a sorted cinema, which is where you can find all of the podcasts. Actually, that's not true. So we're at episode 556 right now. So you can find all episodes from 500 and on. I'm slowly trying to add back the previous 500. It's going to take forever. <laughs> but yeah. We'll get there eventually. Uh, and as for me, you can't really find me online at the moment right now. But uh, hopefully I will be back writing about movies and stuff on Goomastop.com. If I'm going to write anywhere, I'm going to write there. Uh, but otherwise, I will continue to be on this podcast. Now we're sort of getting back into a groove with the podcast. We're going to take this baby steps. Once we get the podcast reestablished, then I'll think about more writing. Um, but yeah, outside of that, uh, what what are we doing next week, Rick? I'm not sure yet. It's going to be a horror film because it is the month of October. I'm just mm -hmm. not sure which movie I want to review. All right, so it'll be a surprise movie next week. I'll find out this week as well. And until then... Uh, Go, so we'll go watch Waterworld. We'll see you next week. It's him. It is him. You guys are in so much trouble. Well, I'll be damned. It's the gentleman Guppy. You know, he's like a turd that won't flush. I want the girl. You know... I thought you were stupid, friend, but I underestimated you. You were a total freaking retard. <laughs> I want the girl. That's all. Well, what on this screwed up earth makes you think that you're going to get her? You know what this is? I drop it, you burn. We all burn. No, wait, 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 wait. <clears throat> Let's not do anything rash here. I mean, uh, are you sure she's worth all this? I mean, she never does stop talking. She never shuts up. I noticed. What is it then, huh? It's the map. She's my friend. Golly gee, a single tear rolls down my cheek. I mean, you're gonna die for your friend.